Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. What has a mind? How should we treat our friends? Do we own our bodies? These are some of the questions New Zealand primary school students participating in a programme to teach philosophy are being asked to consider. P4CNZ, or Philosophy for Children New Zealand, helps train teachers in how to encourage their pupils to think more critically and creatively. Vanya Kovac is its professional development leader and our guest. Vanya, good morning. Good morning, Catherine. Tell me more about P4CNZ. Ah, the organisation itself is a very small organisation. Um, New Zealand is one of more than 50 countries around the world that do philosophy for children. And um, very often um, the associations are groups of volunteers, teachers and philosophers who work together to provide um, teacher development in this area. And how many schools are you working in already here? Well, um, the best results that you get from Philosophy for Children is when you have a whole school approach, when everybody in the school is doing philosophy. And there's still a relatively limited number of um, schools around New Zealand that are doing a whole school approach. So, for instance, Balmoral School in Auckland's been doing it for many years. Um, Hay Park School's just begun in Wellington, Crofton Downs, Island Bay. Um, so all around the country there are people, some schools are doing a full um, approach, but as well, on top of that, all over the country also there's um, teachers who are working in singles or pairs doing philosophy within their schools. And so we train between 60 and 100 teachers a year, I guess. And your background is, I think, your doctorate's in philosophy. Yes, yes. So I teach philosophy at the University of Auckland and um, I'm lucky to be have a permanent half-time position here because it gives me an opportunity to do this other work. It's a packed curriculum and I'm interested that schools are wanting to ensure this is in it somewhere. What are they identifying as being if not missing, what they're wanting to add into the mix of what pupils are are, um, experiencing each day? Well, I think that one of the big things that's happening in school nowadays is inquiry learning. And um, the focus of most of that is scientific inquiry, which I think is fantastic. But alongside scientific inquiry, there's philosophical inquiry as well. So um, you might have, um, say, if you say a historical inquiry, a question like how much freedom did women have in Victorian England, if you're working with, say, year seven. But then there's another question that sits alongside, or two questions that sit alongside, and one is what do we really mean by freedom and how much freedom should we have? So that first question is a, is a historical inquiry question, but those other two questions are philosophical questions, and they enrich the curriculum so much, I think. That's very interesting. As we put a focus on STEM subjects, as we put so much emphasis on data, even the incredible power of data we were discussing earlier in the show with figure.nz, there's the raw information and then there's the questions that ought to follow. Uh, And is that where you and the teachers are wanting to ensure that kind of inquiry, a more lateral inquiry, is being built into children's skill sets? 
Yes, I think so. I mean, it has lots and lots of different um, outcomes for it. And in fact, the way in which it sits in the New Zealand curriculum is really straightforward. Um, the key competencies that are there right at the front of the New Zealand curriculum, which are thinking, managing yourself, participating, contributing, relating to others, using language and text, all those things are achieved in philosophy for children sessions. Like You can like do them all in a session once a week while the kids are still at the same time. Thinking about questions that really intrigue and interest them and you know, usually having a lot of fun as well. So what are the questions? I, I suppose there's different things for different age groups and, and yes. how young are you working with children and what, are, what sort of questions are they pondering? <laughs> Um, yes, we do. So um, we work with um, students from year one to year 13. And there are sort of certain skills that you'd be trying to develop at each stage. So in year one, we'd be interested in developing their ability to give reasons and to listen to each other and to acknowledge that other people may have different opinions from them and to agree and to disagree respectfully and constructively. Um, can I tell you a story? Please. Um, so a while ago I was working with a year one and two class in South Auckland and um, I was asked to do some work on beauty so I did so I came along with some pictures and I had a colourful flower and I asked is it beautiful and they went oh um, it's it's beautiful because it's colourful and that was great they were giving reasons and then I showed them a picture of a black and white picture of a kitten which <laughs> meant that they had to add something to their criteria of beautiful and then I showed them a picture of a very elderly lady and um, asked them is this beautiful and they went no she's old <laughs> she can't be beautiful um, so at that point I said well if we're saying that something is old, does that mean it can't be beautiful? Can anyone think of something that's old and is beautiful? And they talked enthusiastically to their partner for a minute until one little boy shot up his hand and said, treasure is old and beautiful. And that whole process is a process of reasoning and thinking, making claims, being precise about the claim that you're making, and then, brilliantly, from the little boy who said treasure, coming up with a counterexample to the claim that they'd made. And this is actually quite high-order thinking that you can get five- and six-year-olds to do. Discernment is one of the big issues for generations that have a phenomenal amount of information at their fingertips and... Um, many, if not most, navigate brilliantly very often, but discernment for any person needs to be developed. And again, is this part of what you're hoping to encourage them in? Because when you talk about beauty, you know, they've got the Kardashians and they've got um, Instagram telling them what beautiful supposedly is. And again, it's part of building up their resilience and their skill set as people for them to th- ask that question, well, what is beauty and who decides it? Yes, yes. And I think what we want, um, particularly with this kind of activity where we're, um, we're sort of questioning the boundaries of central concepts like brute beauty or fairness or truth or reality or any of those big ones, which is really the kind of stuff of philosophy, when we're asking them to do that, we're asking them to, through thinking about the very specific cases that are connected to their lives, start to construct their own set of criteria for making those judgments. What are some of the other questions you might ask children of various ages to consider? Um, so um, at this very moment, um, Year 5 and 6 at Crofton Downs is currently thinking about freedom and what freedom is and how much we should have. And um, at this very moment at Balmoral School, um, there are a bunch of uh, students in music who've been writing song lyrics and have suddenly started thinking about whether or not song lyrics should be censored. And um, two questions that they came up with was, um, should songwriters always tell the truth in what is truth? 
So you can see that what philosophy for children does is it gives taste, children taste for asking quite penetrating questions and also entertaining some of the most fundamental questions as well. Did they come up with the question, what is truth, as they a result? Did. Right. They did. Which they is asked, about the most fundamental philosophical question, isn't it? <laughs> Apart from do we exist. <laughs> and a very ancient one. Sure. Look, even quite small children will ask questions like, what is real? And so if you think of Margaret Mayhew's beautiful book, The Lion in the Meadow, the questions that come out of that for small children are really powerful ones. Right? So, you know, is the lion real? What evidence can we give for saying it's real? You know, are imaginary friends real? Can things be real in different ways? And once you start asking those questions, like you're making fine distinctions between things, and this is really skillful work that we're, um, I hope, encouraging and developing in children. It's 50 years old, that book, too, so maybe it's proof old can be beautiful, too. Old is beautiful. <laughs> so, in these sessions, um, you would often, do, 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 does the, the teacher lead or put some kind of premise or material out there? How, how does it unfold? So um, the standard, so this whole thing goes back to an American philosopher called Matthew Lippmann in the 1960s who began this whole thing. And um, he believed that we shouldn't be teaching children philosophy, we should be presenting them with philosophically rich materials and getting them to pose their own questions. And that's really important because um, it means that the children will, will take ownership of what they're discussing. They will frame the question and the idea in ways that they can understand and it connects with their experience. Okay. So once that question-gathering process has gone on, then um, the children will choose a question and commit themselves to collaboratively um, work on coming up with the best answer that they can. And they don't have to agree at the end. They can all think different things at the end, but at the end the question has been explored and tested and challenged and expanded. And the teacher's job is to help them think, not what to think, but how to think well about it. And what sort of assistance do you give teachers with that because for uh, for some who haven't studied philosophy or a similar um, arts-based subject um, most of them are probably reasonably skilled aren't they at, at, at the sort of the letting the children in some instance letting the children lead and come to their own conclusions but do some need help with that? Um, actually, sometimes we certainly do have teachers who go, how on earth can I keep my opinions out of this? Um, and I, I really honour them for having the awareness that it's a hard thing to do sometimes. Well, they're but already actually, halfway there if they can, see, halfway if there, they can see that, yes. But to be honest, Catherine, when you're facilitating a community of inquiry, you are listening, you are thinking about very small questions you can ask to develop children's thinking. You might be doing some mapping on the board. You're checking that everybody is adhering to the rules of the community. There's so much going on, you've barely got time to put in your own opinion. So I think once you're immersed in the process, um, uh, it, it comes naturally and also I think both um, teachers and parents are really delighted by what comes out when they create this kind of free but structured space for children to explore their own questions. Well for parents themselves who want to pick up on this and, and keep this as part of their own um, toolkit at home, what is the art of not giving the answer or shaping shaping the direction of the conversation, what are the kinds of questions that you can help prompt along this kind of thinking in your child? Okay. Um, they're really simple questions. Um, they're questions such as just tell me some more about that or tell us your reason for why you're saying that or hang on, is that the same as what you said before? Are we thinking differently now? Or what would someone say if, if they saw this from a different perspective? Or, oh, I wonder how we could find out if that was true. 
Um, or is there a difference between, do you think? So all of those small questions, which we call procedural questions, are really powerful because they, the teacher or the parent asks them, but what they do is they ask the children to do the thinking. Right, so we're not doing the thinking, the children are doing the thinking. And all of those questions map onto certain kinds of critical thinking moves. So what we're doing is we're asking them to perform a particular critical thinking move. So it's like, oh, is there a difference, do you think, between you know, being brave and being reckless? Right, what I'm doing is inviting someone to make a distinction, which is a really important skill. It is a challenge not to complete the process by imparting your own life wisdom. <laughs> that the hardest thing often for a parent or for a teacher to do to accept that something may be left incomplete and in fact that's possibly what you want to achieve because you want this process to become a constant part of a young person's cognition. Yes. Well, I think sometimes parents do want to impart their wisdom, and that seems entirely proper to me. Um, but I think teachers, if they're committed to encouraging collaborative philosophical inquiry, really do have to keep their opinions out. But I think you're right. Sometimes it's incomplete. And actually, learning to live with, um, we haven't quite decided yet, and we have to come back at, to it and think again, um, I think is great. Uh, I think actually, in some ways, there are lots of quite important life lessons um, in the process of doing philosophical community inquiry. And some of them is, one of them is persistence in inquiry. And another is like living with uncertainty until you can think further and come to a resting place. And both of those are really important. Just to elaborate on that, that's really important. Living with uncertainty. Um, and again, we're used to living our experiences in nice, neat, bite-sized amounts. Uh, social media being a classic example. You know, I think they've extended the length of a tweet now, haven't they? But the ability to live with uncertainty, not to fix your position and stay in it and fix your tribe and stay in it. These are pretty important skills that you would want to be developing. Yeah, we want people to kind of work hard to work out what they think in conjunction with other people's thinking, like being helped by other people, and to come to conclusions which they are comfortable with but still know might be provisional, right? Because we should always be open to new evidence coming in and we should always be open to the situation changing. Um, and one of the reasons why I think philosophy is such an important thing, and I know teachers do this in other subjects as well, is getting children to think about and question our current social arrangements, um, you know, it may be as time goes on, they will have to change. And so having that practice and thinking that way is really important. What is it that some of the research overseas is indicating are the benefits of ensuring this kind of thinking and inquiring is happening at primary school level? Okay, well, here's your, here's your moment. <laughs> <laughs> Heaps. Go sell. So um, increases in thinking skills, absolutely, and you'd expect that. But also, really interestingly, a big study in England just showed significant gains in oral language and mathematical skills just from doing philosophy once a week, um, like equivalent to two or three months' worth of extra instruction. That's how powerful it was. As well as that, improvements in confidence, self-esteem, listening, emotional intelligence, motivation, curiosity, relationships with peers, so um, it goes on and on. But I think probably one of the most important things, because we do philosophy in a community of inquiry, there's a lot of um, 
is a huge impact on relationships between students and between students and parents. Um, in fact, uh, one of the principals of um, a lighthouse school in Brisbane, uh, Lynn Hinton from Buranda School, said that they had a whole school approach. After four years, she said, bullying disappeared completely from the school, completely. And not because they were running an anti-bullying program, but because they were doing philosophy in the community of inquiry. Is this form of inquiry happening elsewhere in the curriculum already? Is this an and or? Um, I don't think, um, no, I think what, what we hear from teachers who come to us is, um, I am doing a bit of this and this is a really helpful way of seeing how to make it more focused and more structured and more effective. So yes, there is great philosophical inquiry going on and spits and spots all over the place and teachers are good at it. And so what we hope is to provide you know, techniques and, and, and resources that will help them focus and do much better. But look, just to go back to one of your other questions about you know, why you do it in the... Um, oh no, I've already done that, sorry. <laughs> Can I tell you a final story? Yes, please. Um, I was doing a, um, a workshop for um, a bunch of participants down in Wellington at Crofton Down School and they had a group of year three and four students who were doing an exhibition community of inquiry for us, which was wonderful. And at the end, one of the participants leaned forward and said, I heard a lot of people agreeing and disagreeing with each other and I wondered, how do you feel when someone disagrees with you? And this child gives me her permission. Morag stuck up her hand and said immediately, I feel curious. And I was so... <laughs> I hope she holds on to that throughout life. <laughs> well, Catherine, what a wonderful response. How do you feel when someone disagrees with me? Oh, yes. I feel curious. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you take my point. I hope she does hold on to that throughout life. <laughs> yes. How much well, is we enough... we'll do with a bit more of it, I think. Sure. <laughs> Um, how much I feel pig-headed might be the response of, of a slightly older um, citizen. Um, <laughs> how much is enough? Oh, philosophy. Well, um, for the for the sorts of results that you're sure, pointing sure. to. Sure, um, sure. One session a week, um, time appropriate for for your age group, so 20 minutes for five-year-olds and up to an hour for older students, I suppose, but it depends on how it fits in. Um, once a week for a year will give you sustained gains in, in thinking skills and social skills and the like. That's what the international research shows. Some of these questions are brilliant. What counts as a good reason for something? Uh-huh. That's a really it's important ethics, question. isn't it? Um, well, it's logic, really. <laughs> logic and ethics. It's logic and ethics, yeah. And I mean, something I might be logical, but not ethical, as a reason for doing something. Yes. Well, here's one that I think is crosses logic and ethics: is is it ever okay to jump to conclusions? <laughs> is it good logical practice to jump to conclusions? Is it something that we should ethically be doing, jumping to conclusions? I'm just trying to think, given how often we jump to conclusions, whether many of us would um, have ever contemplated that. <laughs> well, actually, Catherine, that's what I think is the power of this, in fact, in philosophy in general, is that I think in our everyday lives we kind of rush about and do this and that and the other. And, like, we use philosophical concepts all the time. We say things like, oh, I, I thought I knew where my handbag was, or I knew the answer to that quest, I just couldn't get it out. So we use this notion of knowledge, but we never, ever, almost, stop to ask, when am I justified in saying I know something? So philosophy is kind of like the too hard basket. It's the things that we put aside as we rush around. So that's why I think that it's so wonderful to offer children this kind of you know, space in which they can explore these ideas that are really, really central. Do some kids struggle with it, as in any kind of um, collaborative discussion or environment? Are there some kids who are often running and others who don't get it? Yes. And can you help them start to get it? Yes. 
<laughs> and how do you do that? Um, well, in part, for a start, we, we normally work in a circle and it's oral and we're working as a big group, but we also do lots of peer and small group work. And for, so for some students who are just not kind of getting it because they take longer to think things through, then thinking time and talking with their partner is tremendously important. And also for um, shyer students, that's important too. Um, sometimes it's about getting the right topic. Um, I, I tried many years ago with a particular group of boys um, with a whole bunch of different topics until, and they just turned every single one down and said, what are you interested in? They said, girls and sport, right, gotcha, because you can do philosophy of sport. And once we'd found something that they were interested in, we were away. But I do think that there is um, some children and some adults are very black and white thinkers and they have to have an answer. And for them it is more challenging. Okay, but I think over time they get to see, even if we haven't come to a final answer, look at all we've achieved. We've given, you know, we've evaluated our reasons. We've made some important distinctions. We've actually rejected some ideas as not having enough foundation. So we've actually done a lot of work, even if we haven't come to a final answer. Can you remember what your PhD thesis was in? <laughs> um, it was a connection between um, aesthetics and ethics. That's quite a broad subject. Yeah, I'm, I think of myself as a, well. I think of myself as a community philosopher. Um, my real call as a philosopher is to work in the community. Um, I do work in professional ethics mostly nowadays in hospice, um, but um, I love philosophy for children because um, it's it is so broad and uh, it's so delightful. Thank you, Fania Kovac from Philosophy for Children New Zealand or P4CNZ. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.